Welcome to the Sex, Money and Rage podcast. I find that if you have a client and you give them 200% of your services make um, and just really look after them, that they will also bring clients to you and you do the same to that client and then they will bring clients to you and so on and so forth. Welcome back to Sex, Money and Rage, where we have provocative conversations with rebellious kick-ass business owners. So today is all about fear and how your past can really shape your future. So it's about overcoming negative thoughts, overcoming trauma, and that really kind of heavy stuff that so many of us or all of us go through. So welcome. If, if, if this is your first time, my name's Ellie. I'm the host of this new podcast and I'm also a freelance copywriter. So welcome. It's great to have you here. I live in Peru in the Sacred Valley and probably need to admit that I still haven't been to Machu Picchu yet, much to many people's dismay. They're like, how have you not been there yet? And I don't really have any excuses. So <laughs> I'm just starting out this episode being honest with y'all. So anyway, it's not really a very big confession, but <laughs> anyway, today I'm interviewing my friend Candice, who is a hurt recovery coach and she is epic. This conversation was so good. I just, I love editing the podcast because then I get to re-listen to all the the really cool conversations I'm having with all these incredible people. So I I pick up so much more the second time around because I'm just focused on listening and I'm not thinking about questions to ask. So Candice is an incredible, incredible uh, coach. She helps people go through who have been through really big trauma and helps them come back to themselves because so often you lose yourself in trauma and, you know, your whole identity is wrapped up in that. And so it's untangling from that. And she helps people do that which is really, really cool. If you've been through something quite traumatic in life and maybe you're super hypervigilant or anxious in social settings or just in your body, you don't feel safe, you feel quite disconnected, or maybe you just have these really incessant thoughts just running around your head and they just won't shut up and it's driving you crazy and you want to get on top of it, then go to sexmoneyrage.com. I have a free email newsletter where I talk about how to get out of your head and into your body, into feeling your rage and your fear and shame and unlocking all this energy you have inside of you. Because when we go through really challenging stuff, you know, it affects us in our nervous system, in our body. And often we go into fight or flight or we freeze and this energy is stuck in our body until we learn how to release it in a physical way. And this impacts our business, our relationships, our whole lives. So go check it out. It's available at sexmoneyrage.com. And my cat Zeus, well, he's still a kitten, but he's just asked if you could all please leave a five-star review and hit the subscribe button. He's a bit demanding, but he's cute. So we let it slide, don't we, Zeus? Hey everyone, I'm here today with trauma coach Candice Colgan. Candice, how are you doing this morning? I am really well. How are you doing, Ellie? I'm I'm also very well. You're you're in Manchester, is that right? That's right. I am in Manchester, one of the coldest cities in England. Um, and yeah, loving life so far despite the cold. Awesome. Awesome. And so we met when we were both living in Melbourne, Australia. So what, what was the move? Like what, what sort of prompted the move to Manchester, the coldest city? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I suppose, you know, um, I I had my first child in Melbourne um, and because my husband and I, we were both orphans in the sense that uh, we didn't have any family around in Melbourne. My parents are from the Philippines and his are from Northern Ireland 
we really felt the need for having family around us um, when we had the little baby because it was just such a huge change to our lives. Um, and so we thought we, we'd move to Europe um, to be a little bit closer to his family, um, not too close so that they don't feel like we're overbearing, but just close enough. Um, and so what used to be a 33 hour plane ride um, is now just a half an hour plane ride. So life has nice. been a lot easier in terms of in terms of getting support and people around us. Um, but yes, it is really, really cold here. Um, I feel like, you know, Melbourne was so nice and sunny most of the year. Whereas here, it's just cloudy all the time. I feel like I get a shade lighter every year. I've never been <laughs> in my life. <laughs> um, and I'm constantly looking for the sun now. Um, when it's summertime, I'm just constantly looking for beaches and stuff. Um, but that said, it is it is great here in Manchester. People are lovely. Um, it's it's a really cool city. Great beer, um, great bars, great places to see. Yeah, it's so please do come and visit if you can. I will. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, awesome. And so you mentioned you you had one child in Melbourne, but I believe you now have two children. Is that right? What are they like? I do. That's right. Um, so I've, I had my second child here in England, um, and they are just children, I guess. My oldest son is six years old, and my little girl is three. And they are just an absolute handful. Um, I've never been a multitasker in my life. And I've been forced so many times to multitask. And I think I fail most of the time. But the good thing about um, practicing, and I think we'll probably talk about this more when we talk about trauma, is that the more you practice, the more you get better at it. So even when you're forced into doing something you're not used to doing, um, it does get easier over time. So uh so I'm getting used to becoming a multitasking mom. Um, the moms that I used to admire who could hold conversations while their children are running around their feet. I think that eventually I will become that sort of person too. <laughs> eventually. <laughs> I just, I just, it blows my mind how people can be parents. I mean, I, I sometimes think about like if I became a parent, what it would be like. And it just seems so overwhelming and so <laughs> like so much going on, especially while working and running a business. Like it's just crazy yeah no absolutely there's nothing like it it's nothing like a um, anything I've ever experienced before but at the same time it is beautiful because you um experience a love that you've never felt before and I think there's a certain type of love that I suspect probably only parents can resonate with because you just don't feel that way with anybody else um ever apart from your children so it is it is a lovely thing and it is worth it um so if you do get up the courage eventually to have children <laughs> I'll, I'll call you for some tips. <laughs> what do I do, Candace? <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, Amazing. <laughs> um, and so for people who say don't know anything about you, can you just give a bit of a rundown of, of what you do and, and what your life looks like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm Candice, as Ellie has said, and I'm a trauma recovery coach or a hurt recovery coach because some people recoil from the word trauma. Um, I basically offer one-to-one -one services to people who have suffered through a lot of trauma and whether or not they are, it's horrific, big traumatic events or small traumatic social events that have completely changed their lives. Um, I, I just help them find who they are and regulate themselves and be able to move forward happy rather than anxious and rather than, I suppose, in control rather than trapped by their own feelings. So that's what I do. Amazing. Amazing. And what what sort of um, trauma, what sort of people do you work with in that space? 
Yeah, so um, I work with a, a wide array of people, to be honest. Um, I work with quite a lot of people who have experienced some sort of um, criminality in their families, whether this is their immediate family or something that's just randomly happened to them. Um, I work with people who have suffered deaths, such as miscarriages or the loss of a loved one. Um, I've also I also work with people who have suffered abuse either from um, the person that they love or from their family. And this abuse can be both physical and emotional and sometimes spiritual as well. So I work with quite a, a wide array of people. Um, and it's just so nice to be able to talk to people um, in that way to see where they've come from, but also to see where they've now where they're now getting to as a result of our sessions together. And to see them really take control of their lives, it's always so fulfilling to see that. Um, and so my aim all the time whenever I see people is to run myself out of a job. I just want to get them to a point where they don't need me anymore. And it's really good whenever we do get to that point and I see themselves set themselves free. So, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I think, yeah, you touched on something really cool about seeing the progression of your clients as they grow over time and seeing them really take ownership of their journey. And, and I think that's really cool. Mm, no, definitely. Yeah, I think it's great. I think a lot of the time when we go through trauma, we lose ourselves and we lose control of who we are and what we know and what we think. Um, and it's just about coming back to yourself and knowing that things will never be the same because trauma changes us forever. So we're not going to go back to the way things used to be and to the way we used to be. But then learning to come back to who we are for who we are now, knowing what we've known and gone through and being able to move forward with that. Um, it's just such a beautiful thing. And yeah, I, I love seeing it happen um, with with my clients. Um, some of them get there quite quickly. Some of them take a little bit longer. But regardless of the journey, it's it's a really good one. So, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And what a, what a beautiful, uh, I guess, yeah, business to, or, you know, industry to operate in helping people through that stuff. Do you think that your, your past has really helped pave the way for your coaching and, and helps you help your clients better? Yeah, definitely. You know, I've, uh, I've never really seen myself as a coach before. Um, I'm a very introverted, very shy person. I grew up in a really conservative Asian family where you're not meant to be heard at all. You're not meant to speak. Um, you just do what you're told. And so I never really thought that I would be able to, I suppose, I suppose put myself out there and create a business around my services. Um, but I think as a result of um, as a lot of things that I've been through, I think I have this uncanny tendency of attracting really bad things. Um, and so horrible things happen to me all the time. Um, but as a result of going through all those things and coming out on the other side, I just realized that a lot of people go through so much pain in, in this world and they feel very alone and out of control. And sometimes they just need someone to be able to, to see them and hear them um, and just understand them for what they're going through. Um, and I think that's what that's what led me here. I feel like because of my past, I have this ability to understand um, people when they feel out of control or people when rationally in their head, um, things make sense, but then they're acting out completely differently because their bodies are defensive or resistant to something. Um, and I think I, I 
and see them for who they are and not blame them for the actions, but rather help them understand where the actions are coming from and therefore how to control them moving forward. Um, yeah, so that's a long-winded answer, I think. But yeah, I, my my life has definitely shaped where I am today and I'm really grateful for that. Amazing, amazing. And I just think, yeah, it's really, it's really cool to be able to give people the tools to get through this. What, when, when you say, I guess you call yourself a coach, but I guess coach can be quite a, a diverse word that people use. Um, what, what sort of, I guess, tools or strategies do you um, implement with your clients? Is it more like talk-based therapy? Is it more somatic or, or body-based therapy? Is it working through emotions? What, what sort of stuff do you get into or does it vary per client maybe yeah so um i i'm not somatically trained i think eventually i will probably find my way there um but right now most of my sessions are talk based um but we also do quite a lot of mind mapping um so with the talk based sessions we obviously we, we spend a lot of time on on their past we spend a lot of time on their present as well and we talk about what what they want to get to, what future do they want to create for themselves. Um, and so by actually going through the events of their past and seeing how, um, as opposed to the, the beliefs that we've embodied as a result of the trauma, seeing how these turn up on our day-to-day -day lives, then help us understand how do we, um, I guess, discard them or how do we manage them so that they don't bother us moving forward. Um, so we do a lot of that sort of talk-based stuff. We also do a lot of mind mapping as well. Um, I don't know if you know the term neuroception. Um, I you, have heard of it, yes. You've heard of yes. it before. I don't yeah. know what mind mapping is, but I think I have a better <laughs> understanding of neuroception, weirdly enough. <laughs> yeah. I'll, get, I'll get into mind mapping shortly. Um, yeah. But neuroception is, um, I think to, to put it very simply, it's when your body initiates a response um, to the environment before your mind even makes sense of what's going on. So for example, um, the best way to describe this is when, when you walk into a party, for example, and you're immediately tense, but your mind, and this happens even before your mind goes, oh, but then I've got friends there and I've got friends there. So it's, a, it's an immediate bodily reaction that comes to the surface even before you're able to rationalize what's going on. Um, so a lot of people who go through trauma um, have this, uh, I suppose, have a I'm, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe this but um a neuro uh, a way to perceive things where they feel vulnerable and threatened all the time so that's their default neuroceptive response to environment anyway um and so with the mind mapping that we talk about we go through the different phases that we feel as a result of neuroception so in terms of neuroception you're either feeling quite content and okay and safe with people around you and life isn't perfect, but you feel like you can overcome any problems your, that come your way. And this is the space that we want to be at all times, ideally. Um, we're either there or we're in a state of feeling vulnerable, threatened, um, insecure. And this is where we feel ourselves getting ready to fight or flee. Or if we fail to protect ourselves at this state, we then shift to the last phase of this neuroceptive ladder, which is where we collapse. You know, it's hard to get out of bed. We can't do anything. Um, and the way that we actually oscillate up and down this ladder quite a lot of times, several times during the day as a result of our interactions with people, um, 
trauma clients especially usually function at the bottom two stages. They're either threatened or they can't function. Um, and so a lot of the time they feel quite host, they are quite hostage by or taken captive by their thoughts, their feelings. They find it hard to do anything or rationalize anything. Um, and so the mind mapping that we do is to help them understand what shifts them from one place of this neuroceptive ladder to another, and what then helps them move up from one step of the neuroceptive ladder to the next. Um, and by actually being able to mind map these things, they find that um, their thoughts and their responses and their feelings have a level of predictability. Um, being able to write down, say, oh, um, if my boss yells at me, then I move down the neuroceptive ladder because I feel like I'm not doing a good job, I might lose my job, et cetera. Um, being able to name these things, give them a sense of control over what's happening within themselves, gives them a level of predictability um, and therefore makes them feel less captive by their thoughts and their feelings and they're able to manage them better. So um, we do quite a lot of that as well. It is it is usually quite in depth, but it's also a lot of fun and also very enlightening for the clients. So, yeah, so that's a mind mapping bit. <laughs> That's awesome. I think I totally, totally love that you touched on the neuroception. So I recently in the last couple of years, maybe two or three years ago, got into somatic experiencing and Feldenkrais, which have totally transformed my life because I had a lot of anxiety and panic attacks and I didn't know what was going on. And I think the worst thing about having a panic attack is when it happens, it's like, what's going on? And that just makes it escalate. And you probably, you know, going, you're going into that fight or flight activation. Mm -hmm. And, and like you mentioned, it's, it's, you know, you want to operate in the parasympathetic or the rest, you know, relaxation mode where you feel safe. But for a lot of people, especially trauma people, you know, you don't, you don't feel that in your day to day. Mm. And, and I found it so fascinating because it, it, it gives you a physiological explanation or framework to see what's happening in my body. It, it's, it's not something, you know, totally out of my control. It, it's not something super mystical. It's, there's a perfectly reasonable response mm -hmm. that my body is having to this situation. And maybe, you know, there's hypervigilance going on. So at a party, I'm freaking out when maybe, like I'm actually safe. And so there's that disconnect, but I love the way that somatic experiencing and Feldenkrais really help you understand what's going on in your body on a physiological level, because then, then you can go, Oh, that this is per perfectly normal to have this response. Mm -hmm. And then you can work with it. And it takes, like you said, the blame and the, you know, it's all my fault kind of out of it because it's like, well, this is we're animals and this is how animals respond in the wild when they're getting chased by a predator. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just, I could talk about this all day, <laughs> but I really love it. It is wonderful. No, definitely somatic therapy is uh, is very effective with treating with treating trauma as well. There's generally two, I suppose, two overarching ways of looking at trauma or treating them anyway. You either do a top down approach, which is from the brain down, which is the the kind of sessions that I deliver, or from a somatic experience, you do the bottom up. You deal with the body and then it calms the brain down. Um, so I guess different people, I mean, different things work for different people. And it's very clear that the, the somatic way does wonders for you. Um, I, I've not done it yet. I think I had a, a psychiatrist, psychiatrist, sorry, once tried to do a bit of somatic stuff with me. This was way back when, when I had suffered through some trauma as well. 
And I found it really uncomfortable. I, I couldn't do it. Um, but then actually doing the top-down approach, which is the talk, the using the brain to understand what's going on in your body was very effective for me. Um, which is why I took that approach with my with my sessions instead right now. But I am very interested in the somatic stuff. So I will one mm. day um study that and hopefully offer that to my clients as well. So yeah. Yeah. And I think I think like I like I don't want to play down any modality because I think every modality and every whether it's top down or bottom bottom up has has a place. And I've done a lot of talk therapy myself and found it really, really helpful. And I think at different stages in the journey, you know, there's there's different things that a person needs for their healing. And and yeah. you're absolutely right. And for a lot of people, the somatic approach can be really intense really quickly. And so it's like I think it's really cool that you listen to your body and was like, okay, this is too much. I'm going to find something that works for me. And mm. then to take that and use that with your clients is is really cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you, you're definitely correct about that. I think also because when you go through really tough things, we all experience things differently as well. Um, a lot of people find it really hard to talk about what they've been through while others can do. Um, some of my clients experience physical symptoms within themselves when they go through trauma. And these are the clients that I usually refer on to for more somatic therapy, because I think getting in touch with their bodies and feeling safe physically with their bodies it's a very important thing for them as well um but yeah like you say you know we there are different modalities because we need different things we experience things differently we you and I could go through the same event and we'd come away uh we'd experience it very differently and take different things from it to be honest so it's just great that there's a wealth of um modalities out there like you say to to help us get through life it's crazy isn't it <laughs> It is. It's it's a really cool time to be alive with just the awareness that's coming around mental health and and, you know, trauma and all of this stuff that people are able to talk about antidepressants and anxiety. And, and I think it, it's really cool. The more open that we as a culture and a society can be like it just helps everyone. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, so. I definitely agree. I think that um, we're taking away the shame and the guilt and the blame. And we're learning to understand that actually feelings have as much of a, an important part in our lives as our brain. You know, we used to live in a culture, I think, where we're all led by the brain, the intellect. Um, if there's no reason for us to feel anxious, then you should just not feel anxious. That's how we used to do things. Whereas mm -hmm. now we understand that sometimes these anxious feelings um, stem from somewhere else deep in our past you know we are constantly activated we're constantly in the sympathetic mode where our adrenaline is rushing and we're afraid and we don't know why a lot of trauma victims actually forget what they've been through when it's really horrific because our brain's main goal is to keep us alive and to protect us so when something really horrifying happens to us the brain chooses to forget it stores it somewhere in the back of our mind and some people don't even remember what they've been through until they're like 60 something or maybe when their abuser dies then suddenly they remember absolutely everything that's happened to them um so I just lost my train of thought there I don't even know why I ended up there but um, no that's okay <laughs> yeah no but I guess I it's coming back to me now um but I guess I was saying that I agree with you that it's so good that we now live in a society where it's okay to talk about um, how we're feeling and it's okay to give each other space and to understand that feelings aren't always rational, but just because they're not rational doesn't mean that they 
uh, should be disregarded because when our bodies respond in a certain way, it usually means uh, usually means that our bodies need something. And so we should attend to that. And it's about finding out how to attend to it, I think, is uh, what we're doing. So, yeah. yeah. Very cool. I totally agree. And and so I guess to switch gears a little bit and and talk about, the, I guess, the business and how you've kind of gone into that. Um, what are some of the, I guess, challenges you faced or things you've learned in, in business? I mean, you're also a full time mom and you also have other work that you do as well. So how do you how do you find you balance all of that? What what's been helpful? Yeah, I think um you know, as a trauma victim and knowing that nothing in life is ever predictable and you can't control everything that happens to you, I think I've learned to, um, I guess, to be true to myself and to take the business at a pace where I feel comfortable with. Um, one of the biggest challenges I face, um, and this is a, a true confession, is social media. I, I really find it hard to be out there on social media for a number of reasons. Number one, it doesn't feel natural to me, but that's okay. Number two, I attract um, attention sometimes from people whose attention I don't really want and whose attention makes me feel quite frightened and intimidated. So I'd rather not give them too much that they can come back to me with. Um, And so I've um, followed the footsteps of some of the the coaches that I've learned from and have just stepped away from social media for a little bit. Um, and I've noticed that it hasn't it hasn't stopped the business. I'm not saying, you know, this is the right thing to do. We're all testing things. We're all working things out in the business. But my personal experience is that it hasn't stopped the business from coming in. I find that if you have a client and you give them 200% of your services, make um and just really look after them that they will also bring clients to you and you do the same to that client and then they will bring clients to you and so on and so forth um and i guess in doing all of that as well then you become a little bit more confident um you start feeling that you know you can overcome bigger challenges as well so um i yeah so i i suppose for me it is a journey i find that there are multiple challenges along the way but i take steps to overcome them, whether or not they are big steps or small steps, doesn't matter. I just, I just take them. Um, and as for balancing working while being a mom and doing other sorts of work as well, um, it's just the old cliche, which is that you just have to make time. Um, I think with two kids um, and running on barely a, a huge amount of, sorry, running on barely any sleep at all, um, I find that it's very easy to make an excuse if you I suppose if you just say, I just don't have the time and it's very easy to just slip into that. But actually, if something really means to you, you would make time. And when you look back at all the time that you put into doing something, you can see that you're actually growing something and growing something really good as well. Um, And then that motivates you to keep putting more time in as well and doing new things. So, yeah. But obviously, in all of that, it's very important to listen to your body. Um, If you're feeling very tired, rest. If you feel like you can keep going, then do it. If you feel like you can do just a little bit, then just do that little bit and rest. Um, there's no um, part here for blame or shaming or guilt. Just do what's right for you and everything will fall into place. So yeah. 
Awesome. Awesome. I, yeah, couldn't agree more. I think that when something is important to you, you just make the time, you find a way to take action on it and, and build it up. And it's clear that, you know, you're super passionate about this stuff, which is, which is really cool. I think, you know, if you're working with a coach or, or a counselor or whoever, a therapist, that it's important to have someone who's, who's done the work themselves, you know, not someone who's just studied at university and got their degree and, and not to say that they aren't helpful, but I, I personally have found the coaches and the, you know, therapists I've learned the most from are the people who've been in the trenches themselves and have done their own work and, you know, either, you know, both personally and, and professionally building a business because building a business is a whole other set of challenges, you know, and it pushes you in ways that, you couldn't push yourself otherwise I feel so I think it's it's really cool that you're doing what you're doing it's very true thank you that's really kind but yeah I think it's it's all a journey isn't it life is a journey a business is a journey um and we're all just figuring things out as we go along but it's it's fun it's exciting you learn a lot you grow and that's that's what's most important yeah Totally, totally. And so I saw that you have been part of a book, is it? Creating Impact. Would you be able to share a bit about what the book is about and how you got involved in all of that? Yeah, that's right. Um, So the book is about um, change makers who are making the world a better place. Um, And so you'll hear from all sorts of people and quite a lot of people who have suffered from trauma um, and have come out the other side and are now using that force to create something good in the world. Um, how did I get involved? I, I got invited to be involved, I think, um, was, was really it. Um, yeah, I, I got an email inviting me to join the book and I, I thought about it. I spoke to a couple of friends who have published before and worked out whether or not this was the right thing for me to do. Um, and I, I came to the conclusion that yes, it's probably the right thing for me to do. I, this is the first, um, multi-author book that I've been a part of, and it's been a really, it's been a really cool journey. Um, even just writing that chapter um, was really helpful for me. Um, I think what I've learned in my, I suppose, in my journey is that, you know, I, I look back and I think about the steps that I've taken. And when something feels overwhelming, it's nice to turn it into something a bit more bite-sized so that you end up doing it still. And I think this book was a bit like that. Um, I've always thought about writing a book never really thought about um, when to do it or how, can't even think of the time to do it now that I've got kids. An opportunity was presented to me and all I needed to do was to write a chapter. And I just thought, okay, let's just do it and let's let's get our name out there. Um, and in the meantime, I've met really a load of great people as well as um, my co-authors in the book. Um, some of them I'm still in touch with. And so the book has just been, I don't know, it's been a blessing, really. Um, it's a great way to put yourself out there. It's a great way to meet people. And people come to me as well because they've read the book. So it's a, a great way to market yourself as well. If, you, if you're thinking of doing one, Ellie, and everybody listening into this podcast. So, yeah. So, yeah, yeah I nice. highly recommend it. <laughs> Yeah, I think I really love what you said about, I guess, just that even like, like, like one of so many things, uh, but one was, you know, the fact that just writing a chapter is a lot more manageable than writing a whole book. And also just being a part of this collaboration with other people, uh, writing a book about impact. And, and I guess too, like, you know, when you read a book, you know, you get one author's perspective most of the time. Whereas when you read a book that's been co-authored by multiple people, you get all these different perspectives and, 
and it's really good for the reader and it's also really good for the authors because like you said you network and you connect and mm. I, I just think it's really cool that's something that I've been learning lately is just the power of collaboration and the power of relationships with with people mm. so no, definitely. Yeah. I think a lot of the time when we feel quite um, anxious or panicky or alone, the best way to usually deal with that is to actually be around people. And so, you know, sometimes writing a book or doing something new with your business can call them, can create all of these emotions within you. You're a bit panicky, you're insecure, you're anxious. And actually having people on your side can make make a huge difference. Um, they They cheer you on and you suddenly start feeling like, oh, I can probably do this and I can actually believe in myself this time um and it is it is so powerful and also so important um so and it's so good to just be around like-minded people as well um you level up not just in terms of your community but also in your thoughts in the way that you do life in the way that you do business and it's so cool to just keep leveling up so yeah yeah awesome mm -hmm. awesome that's super super cool and so so I guess we could touch on a few different things, but uh, you mentioned um, earlier about being a crime survivor. If, if you mm. feel comfortable sort of talking about um, what that was like or um, how do I put this? Maybe, yeah, just like some of the emotions, I guess, or things that would have come out or that you had to sort of process going through that and how that has really helped you, you know, empowered you to live your life and build your business, you know, whether it's overcoming fear or shame or, or rage or, or whatever it is that's, if, if you feel open to sharing. Yeah, is. no, definitely. Um, so I, I suppose I've always grown up with crime around me growing up in the Philippines. I know you've been there. I heard your first podcast um, with John and your, <laughs> your view of the Philippines. And I do resonate with that. Um, it's, a, it's a poor country. The people are wonderful, but where, wherever poverty is rife, there's a lot of crime. And so I grew up with a lot of crime around me. Um, I grew up with a sense of threat constantly. Um, you know, gates, our houses have to be gated and barbed wired and triple locked and you can't leave wow. your bags anywhere. And, you know, that that sort of living really. Um, and I think I, I shared in my book that um, crime came to me as a young child, thankfully not directly, um, but there was a man who stepped into our car when I was in kindergarten, just having lunch in the car with my mum. My mum stepped out for a few minutes to put something in the rubbish bin and this man came into our car and told me to be quiet and just stole my mum's handbag. And it was one of the most... Um, I was going to say intrusive moments of my life, but I did feel quite invaded as a child and I couldn't believe that it happened. Um, and uh, I suppose, but then, you know, crime directly impacted me again when I was in Melbourne. I, I would get people, you know, following me, calling me names, that sort of stuff, but no, no one never, no one ever really hurt me up until when I was 19 years old and I was just sitting outside. Um, I don't know if you remember Melbourne much, but you know where uh, Lonsdale Street is and Spring Street on the corner of Lonsdale and Spring Street, there's a big government building over there. Um, I was just taking a break from studying for my exam in uni. Um, I was talking to my best friend over the phone and then suddenly someone covered my eyes from, from behind me and put something sharp down my throat and said, give me all your money or I'll slit your throat. Um, and I just remember the, the feeling of adrenaline not just adrenaline but my mind trying to rationalize what was going on first of all my mind said 
this cannot be happening. This is this is not real. But then when the sh- I felt the pain in my neck, I realized that, oh, crap, it, it actually really is happening. Um, and I don't know what came over me. Maybe it was the fight in me, but I somehow managed to get away from that grasp and I fought back. Um, and it turns out that there were three people who were trying to mug me. I don't know what it was, maybe for drugs or whatever it was. Um, and I suffered quite a, a lot of injuries as a result of being beaten up by three people. But I kept fighting and I was just so um, overridden by the will to survive. I just kept fighting. Um, they So th- someone eventually broke the fight off because they could see that three people were punching this small Asian girl in the middle of the street. Um, and they ran off with my money, which was about 50 Australian dollars at the time. And I had never wanted to carry cash again ever since that time. I am quite cashless now most of the time. Um, And uh, I suppose the police eventually arrived, um, took my statement, brought me to hospital, um, tried to prosecute them because they caught these three people doing the same thing to someone else later on. Um, But they couldn't prosecute my case because I couldn't identify them when they asked me to identify them. I still feel a little bit resentful about that. Not that I have any anger or anything towards these three three kids, I imagine, at the time. Um, but the way they asked me to identify the people who hurt me was by showing me an A4 sheet of paper with scanned images of people that, that was black and white. And we all know how different we all can look in 2D, especially black and white and poor um, resolution pictures as well. So... <laughs> I couldn't identify these three people from that A4 sheet of paper, so they couldn't prosecute them. Um, and I think obviously something changed within me then. Um, you know, I was studying law, I was trying to fight for justice, uh, I thought any time, and something something changed within me. I realized that actually, you know, hurt can happen and hurt doesn't always resolve, um, but it doesn't mean that I had to hang on to it. Anyway. Um, In terms of my bodily reactions towards that event, though, I mentioned earlier that I've just refused to carry cash ever since. I just didn't want to. Um, I get really jumpy whenever someone is behind me. I still feel, I still remember how it feels to have someone just, I suppose, jump on you from behind you and then put something sharp down your throat. So I do get quite jumpy whenever someone is behind me. Um, And for a little while, I just refused to go out at night um, in Melbourne. Um, And I think I overcame that slowly by just realizing that I just couldn't hold myself captive anymore. I lived in the city of Melbourne. It's beautiful. There's people everywhere. There's so many cafes and bars and all those places to go out to. And it is generally safe. I realized that I just couldn't stay holed up in my apartment all the time. So I just started going out and going out. And even when I felt nervous and insecure, I just kept going out until it felt normal again. And I think that was one of the biggest lessons that I've learned as a result of trauma. You know, like we, as a result of trauma, we embody certain things that um, we do to protect ourselves. And we see a lot of these, especially for people who have suffered from childhood abuse, they become hypervigilant to a raised voice, or they become really afraid of conflict, or they throw in a certain type of personality so that they could disarm the person who's about to abuse them. Um, But these emotions, although they're they're there to protect us for a certain time. So for example, for myself, 
being afraid of someone or being afraid to go out at night was my body's way of trying to protect myself at the time, you realize that there comes a time when those coping mechanisms just don't help you anymore. Um, and you need to not need to, but it's actually more helpful for you to try and remove those coping mechanisms because they become maladaptive. They're not helpful for you. And in fact, they keep you trapped. Um, and so once you start shifting those mechanisms away, it's it's very hard on your body as well. Um, some of my clients feel sick doing new things and that's fine because it's your body's way of saying, I'm not used to this. I don't like it. Um, but it doesn't mean you have to stop trying. Um, you know, it's about, it's the word titrating, getting the dosage right, taking baby steps um, and then taking another bigger step later on and another bigger step later on until your body gets used to it, you become used to it and you actually set yourself free from this fear that you've had for a long time. Um, and so, so I started doing that. Um, over here in Manchester, sadly, I experienced a lot of racial abuse when I first moved here, um, especially during the height of COVID. I used to shy away from people who who were racist towards me. Um, I, I'm usually on my own whenever I get abused, verbally abused, I suppose. Um, and I usually just try and hide and be quiet. But recently, I've just been speaking out against them. If someone's been nasty towards me, I call them out. And it was really uncomfortable at first. Um, but then the more I did it, the more I realized that actually it's okay to call people out for these things, especially when you're in a safe place. Um, and it's it's a muscle that I'm exercising um, every time it happens to me. And I do feel much better for it. And I do think it's, it's right to challenge your bodies in ways, especially if they're there to help you grow, to make you a better person. And most importantly, to free you from your fears. Um, and to free you from your anxiety so so yeah Amazing. i hope that made sense <laughs> <laughs> yes oh my gosh i feel like i was hanging on every word it was it was incredible thank thank you for sharing it. i just want to honor that it's it's not easy to share about that that sort of stuff but unfortunately you know a lot of people go go through stuff maybe, maybe not exactly what you went through but but i think it, it's really awesome that you were able to share and and helps people mm -hmm. understand like you know, it happens and, and it's not okay. And you can speak out, like you said, and it's, it reminds me of, uh, I can't remember who said it, but there's like a, I guess a psychological, I don't want to say phenomenon, but um, <laughs> where, you know, fear, if you shy away from fear, the next time you come across that same situation that makes you afraid, you're going to feel more afraid. Mm -hmm. And so shying away from fear is just going to make it seem bigger and bigger and bigger over time. And so I think it's awesome that you're standing up to the fear and facing it and showing your body like there's another way to do this you know there's another way to respond and and whether that's in a personal life or in or in business you know we're gonna maybe you know like say for instance trauma victims might find it really hard to put themselves out there in business or on social media and mm -hmm. but by doing these things by putting ourselves into these I guess situations that trigger that you know, fight or flight response or fear and just noticing it and being aware of it and putting ourselves in it anyway, when we are safe, mm -hmm. can really help to integrate that fear and, and release it, which is, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, our, our brain is, has a neuroplasticity to it. It's a muscle that you can mold and shape and strengthen. And so even if we have held on to certain habits for all of our lives with, and they're wired into ourselves and our brain, 
we can take steps to rewire them and introduce new habits and new ways of dealing with things and new ways of doing things. Um, and I think this is one of the, the biggest things that we do in trauma coaching, and it's to introduce new ways of approaching things to make them realize that actually this fear, even though it's it's so real and you feel it physically, emotionally, spirit, um, spiritually sometimes as well, um, you don't need to be captive by it. You don't need to be held captive by it. And there are ways for you to try and diffuse it. Um, and it's about taking those small steps to slowly diffuse it, to understand it, and to be able to tell that fear that actually I am bigger than you um, and I can do these things and I don't need to hold myself prisoner anymore. Um, yeah, and it's it's just wonderful to be able to, to do that. It takes a lot of courage, takes a little bit of work. You need to want to do the work, um, but it's so worth it in the end, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think something that I just thought of while you were speaking was, you know, it's almost like to bring in my statistic mind, um, <laughs> you know, the, the more we put ourselves into these situations, the more data we get of, you know, because we can think, oh, when I'm in this situation, I'm going to react to this or this is going to happen, you know, and I actually <laughs> I actually developed a spreadsheet of like writing down all my all my fears you know, the likelihood of them happening. I think Tim Ferriss talks about this called fear setting. And, mm -hmm. and I put down anything I could think of and the likelihood of it all happening and what I would do if it did happen. And, and then I kind of went out and tested it and put myself into these situations. And mm. like basically all the stuff I was afraid of happening never happened. And so as you put yourself into these situations, you get data of like, oh, okay, that actually didn't happen like mm -hmm. I thought it would. And that as well can give you confidence to then keep pushing forward in, in life and in business, which is cool. Yeah, definitely. What you said made reflect on this other thing called the confidence competence loop. Have you, have you heard about that before? I don't think yeah. so. No. No. <laughs> so it basically <laughs> says that when you, when you do something new, um, you, something you've never done before, uh, it, the, the event can go two ways. It can go really, really well, and it will increase your confidence in doing it again. Or it may not go so well, but by it not going so well, you actually increase your competence in being able to do it again because you're able to get data, like you say, about what happened and you're able to then go, okay, well, that didn't work out so well. So maybe I can do things a little bit differently the next time I do it again. Um, and, and I really love it because there's no room for failure in this, in this loop. It either goes well or if it doesn't go well, then you've learned something new and then you can just, just do it again and you get better at it. Um, yeah. And I, and I just really like it. I love also that you wrote down all of your fears and then tested them out and realized that, oh, actually, they don't happen. They're just in my mind. Um, and I'm sure that increased your confidence as well and perhaps um, spurred you on to do bigger and better things as well as a result. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's funny. Like I, I can remember what I was like then. I was so rigid and so just, yeah, afraid. And, and it really, really did help. It really helped just, just writing it down even helped me see how ridiculous some of them were. Like, <laughs> yeah, just, I kind of remember specifics, but just like, wow, like really catastrophic. And, and I think when they're in your head, you know, you're hearing them one at a time, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to break them down. But when you see them on paper or in a spreadsheet, you're kind of like, oh, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> this is a bit like ridiculous, you know, and, and I think it really helps to then, yeah, let them go and, and, and get that confidence, like you said, or that competence yeah. to, yeah, to deal with it, which is cool. 
Yeah, it gives you that sense of control as well, because a lot of the time we feel like we're yeah. not in control of our thoughts or our feelings, but then being able to put them down into paper and to be able to step back and see it for what it is really brings back a sense of control to yourself because you start realizing that, oh, actually, I can objectively see what my thoughts are saying right now. And I can now objectively say that they are ridiculous um, and I'm not going to entertain those thoughts ever again. Um, yeah. And so the power of writing is incredible as well. I, I don't think we're in a culture, a journaling culture anymore, but um, I do encourage my clients to do that, especially when they're stuck in a particular type of event. Um, mm. I encourage them to journal in, in different ways and being able to vocalize exactly what's going on in their heads give them back that sense of control it makes them see that oh actually maybe I don't agree with my thoughts and realizing that I can disagree with my thoughts and it's okay to to let that go yeah so, yeah so yeah yeah that's awesome and I think too so, something I realized is how much our thoughts contradict each other as well and and, and by having them on you know paper and seeing them you're like hang on it can't be both you know it's like these opposing thoughts and it just helped helped me to see the ridiculousness yeah, of it all, which I think yes, <laughs> made me laugh. <laughs> I found um, I really got into Byron Katie for a while, for a while. I'm still in, into her stuff, and she has a very specific method or formula of writing down thoughts and then breaking them apart or helping them to see, helping you to see how they're not true. And and mm. it's it's really cool. I'll um I'll pop, pop it in the show notes, but um, she's. Really cool. She's yeah, really cool. It's it's sort of her whole you know thesis is, you know, you don't force your thoughts away, but just question them, and they'll just let go of you. You know, you just question: is this mm. really true? You know, how does this make me feel when I think this thought, and what would mm. I feel like without this thought, kind of thing? And mm. really powerful stuff. Yeah, really yeah. powerful. No, definitely. Sometimes deconstructing a narrative is hugely powerful um, for the person involved in that narrative because sometimes we we are storytelling people we get so swept away by the stories that we hear the stories that we tell ourselves the identities that we embrace and deconstructing those and challenging those can be really um, liberating and empowering because you start realizing that perhaps the story that I've been telling myself as to who I am and who I should be and what I should be um, it's not necessarily true it's not necessarily helpful it's not necessarily what I want um, and it's okay to do something differently. Um, but until we get into that process of actually deconstructing what we're what we're telling ourselves, we we can probably just um, it's just so easy to not see what's going on in our head. So easy to not realize that how we talk to ourselves um, is probably not acceptable if we decide to talk that way to someone else, and yet we allow ourselves to be spoken to in that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I suppose this goes back to that old cliche of um, how important it is to be kind to yourself, not to use your thoughts and validate your feelings or your feelings and validate your thoughts. Um, I, I find that a person is really whole when there's space for for both the mind and the body in, in the way that they do life. Um, yeah, they feel more balanced and they're better able to deal with whatever comes their way. Yeah, so, yeah, in harmony. I love it. In harmony, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, amazing. Well, we're almost on time for today. So it's been an awesome conversation. I've, I've really, really enjoyed it. Where can people find out more about you and connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my website is hurtrecoverycoach.com. 
Um, I am also on Instagram. I've not posted for a little while because I have take, uh, taken a step back from social media, but I do respond to messages there. And my Instagram tag is Perk Recovery Coach as well. Um, so feel free to contact me through my website or my Instagram and my email, actually, which is Candice at HurtRecoveryCoach.com. Amazing. So exciting. Well, thank you again for coming on, Candice. Really appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Ellie.